We've talked about how Jesus has come in a cradle. He went to the cradle of what to indwell us and empower us to spread the gospel of what he has accomplished. So when we talk about the Great Commission, you know, many things may come into our minds. What, what comes into your mind when I say the Great Commission? You should be about the Great Commission. Is it evangelism training and discipleship courses? Is it foreign countries and missions trips? Or is it sweaty palms in a pit in your stomach <laughs> like most of us when we think about sharing Jesus, which it really shouldn't be that way because it is such good and glorious news. And so while all those things certainly are parts of the Great Commission and what Jesus has called us to do, how many of us have thought about leadership in connection with the Great Commission? That's all right, leadership, like, like people being in charge, having meetings and making decisions. Leadership for the master's mission. Strange as it may seem, that's exactly what we're going to learn from God's word today. And it's quite fitting because, you know, we're currently refocusing our church on the Great Commission. And we are today appointing two new leaders, two new elders to our, our uh, elder team. And so... Today we will learn basically two things that I think are very helpful that we need to learn whether or not uh, we were appointing new elders today. But first we're going to see that the master's mission to make disciples of all nations through the redeemed is nothing new. Okay, Jesus, you know, in the New Testament gave the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. yes. But he wasn't actually saying anything new. This is something that was going on in the Old Testament just as much as it should be going on in our lives in the New Testament age. The second thing that we'll see is sufficient leadership is actually vital to the master's mission and our walking in it faithfully. Leadership was vital to the master's mission over 3,000 years ago, almost 3,500 years ago, uh, Exodus 18 there. And it is still vital for us today in 2023. So to fully see these realities, uh, I want to first rewind a little bit in the book of Exodus to when Israel was still in Egypt under Pharaoh's thumb. This is what God said in Exodus uh, 9 verse 16, God says this purpose statement for, for this spectacular salvation he's going to do. But for this purpose, that's a purpose statement, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God's purpose for redeeming Israel from the might of Pharaoh was so that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. I mean, that sounds a lot like what Jesus said in the New Testament. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. My name will be proclaimed. My name, my reputation, my renown, my salvation to be proclaimed in all the earth. This is what God was redeeming Israel to do. I don't want to make light of the fact that they were saved, they were truly saved from their slavery, from their oppression, but that wasn't actually the main point. 
the main point was that his name, his glory, his renown, his salvation would be proclaimed in all the earth, not just to Israel. So this is where we are uh, in Exodus. God has redeemed this people, Israel. God has worked wondrously to overthrow the power of Pharaoh and of Egypt and his army. And so now we say, well, well, how are things going? God said he was going to do this for a purpose. Well, this is actually what we see right here in Exodus 18. The mission was making progress. The mission was making progress. Right here in Exodus 18, God's glory was already being proclaimed through his redeemed to people of other nations. So let's look at it and uh, go ahead and turn to your Bible to Exodus 18 verses 1 to, eight, uh, 1 to 8 is where we'll first look. It says there, verse 1, I've got it up there, but I'm not very good at keeping up with the slides, so don't count on me. Your Bible is a better place. Jethro... The priest of Midian, so that's, that's a foreign nation, and he's a priest, most likely not a priest of Yahweh, because Midianites were pagans, polytheistic pagans. So Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Mo Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the, na and the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now look what happens in verse five. Jethro, Mo Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, <clears throat> where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her, and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Verse 8, then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. This is, I mean, groundbreaking what's happening here. You have Jethro, a Midianite, Gentile priest, pagan, has heard about, whether it be through a messenger from Moses or through the, the caravan grapevine, I don't know. He heard, hey, Israel has actually gotten out of Egypt. God, God's actually done something for them there. And so he, along with Moses' wife and two sons, come and meet Moses. And Moses takes this opportunity and he told Jethro all that the Lord had done. Now it's significant, and I, I, you know, underlined and highlighted and bolded this up on the screen. It's significant that that word told, Moses told his father-in-law, is the exact same Hebrew word as in Exodus um, 9.16. That word proclaimed, Exodus 9.16, uh, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now Moses has told his Gentile pagan father-in-law, 
all that the Lord has done. Or you could put that word in there, Moses proclaimed to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. This is huge. This is the purpose for which God redeemed Israel. And what we'll see next is that God, just like he does for us today, God empowers Moses' proclamation. Look at it in uh, verses 9 through 12 in Jethro's response. Uh, Verse 9, And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord. Okay, that's significant right there that he said, blessed be the Lord. In in the Hebrew, that's Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh. That's the personal name of God that was given to the Israelites to, to name their God. Blessed be Yahweh. Then he says in verse 11, now I know that the Lord, that Yahweh is greater than all gods. And Jethro, mother's father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So what, what just happened there? Israel is redeemed. Moses proclaims. And Jethro believes and worships. He, he now sees that Yahweh is supreme, that he is the one to be desired, the one to be chased after, the one to be worshipped, the one to be saved by. He sa- it says there he rejoiced, he blessed the Lord, he brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Why? Verse 11 kind of sums it up. Now I know that the Lord, that Yahweh is greater than all gods. This is, again, the purpose for which God had redeemed Israel. This is the purpose for which God has redeemed you and me, that we might proclaim his excellencies to all nations, to all peoples, to those who need him just like we need him. God's glory is being proclaimed. The mission that God has put on Israel is making progress. This is beautiful, and I I wish we could park here, and we actually will next week, by the way. We're coming right back to this text. But here's what I want us to see today. Though the mission was making progress, there was one big problem. Number two, the mission must be maintained. God is doing this amazing thing through Israel. The world, the nations are hearing about the supreme greatness of God through his redeemed But that mission needed to be maintained through an increase in leadership. I know, that's very unromantic. (laughs) That doesn't sound like such an adventure. But what we'll we'll see that they need is an increase in leadership. Let's see this uh, first in verse 13. The next day, this is after uh, Jethro's conversion and worship of God, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. That, by the way, is a very long time. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, 
They come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. I feel like I don't have to say a whole lot here. You see what's going on. Moses has, has Israel, a nation of upwards of 2 million people, and he is trying to instruct them in the way of the Lord and, and help them in their disputes all alone. All alone. He, he sits there. He couldn't stand all day, so he sits there, and the people come and they stand in a long line waiting to talk to him. And what, what Jethro says will certainly happen is, Moses, if you keep this up, you are going to burn out, and the people are going to get worn out. No one wants to stand in line all day just to hear, uh, you know, God's direction or to hear between a dispute. And, and you simply cannot do that all day, every day. You, you have other things you need to do. So this is what he sees. At this rate, the mission will not be maintained. You, you see that? The mission will not be maintained if Moses keeps trying to lead alone. But Jethro, being a man of constructive criticism, oh, it's a beautiful thing. Constructive criticism not only points out the problem, but he proposes a solution. Uh, look at it in verse 21. Let's see where I'm at. No, 19. There we go. Yep, 19, sorry. Now obey my voice, Jethro says. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So, so God, Moses should keep doing what he's been doing faithfully. But Jethro adds this in verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. That's a lot of leaders, by the way. Verse 21, or sorry, verse 22. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart. And he went away to his own country. So, so what was Jethro's advice in a nutshell? You, you can't do this alone. The burden is too heavy. You'll get burnt out. The people will get worn out. So what does he need to do? Moses, don't do it alone. Find able men to bear the burden with you. 
find able men, entrust to them this duty, this responsibility to bear the burden with you. And what will be the result? Again, I've, I've got it up there. You will be able to endure. You won't get burned out. And the people also will go to their place in peace. The people will be happy. Moses will be, be happier and, and, and more, more able. And the people will be more satisfied. They will be happy. They, they won't be upset that they had to see, oh, an, an under leader. No, they'll be happy that their case got heard, that they, that they got the direction that they needed. This was good news for everyone. And we, we need to see how this ties into the master's mission, why this is so important. If Moses were to get burned out and just say, forget it, I'm not doing it anymore, or I'm not going to do a very good job at it. Or if the people said, forget it, I'm not waiting in line all day to hear from Moses, what would be the result? Well, they wouldn't have heard the laws and statutes of God and the way they should walk. That, that, that was all about obedience to God. That's what Moses was leading them is obedience to God. In addition, they wouldn't come to him when they have disputes, right? He said, the people come to me um, and, and I decide between one person and the other and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses is helping the people of Israel walk in love and unity. And so now he is, uh, you know, help having others come in to help him, these other leaders, so that Moses won't get burnt out and the people won't get worn out. They will continue coming for instruction to walk in obedience and they can continue to walk in love and unity with one another. This is important for the master's mission because our lives tell a story of what God has done for us. While God does not perfect us this side of heaven, God does change us. He transforms us. And the way that he transforms us is to walk in obedience to him and to walk in love and unity with one another. When we live that way, it, it gives, give cre gives credence to what we say he's done for us. When we don't live that way, it profanes the name of God. People say, ah, they're just like the Gentiles. They're just like the unsaved. God, God's not miraculous or powerful. I mean, Big deal, we can live that way. This is a lot like what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, right? That's the that's, uh, opposite of love and unity. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is, is huge. Moses, his leadership, his direction, his, his uh, cultivating the people, his helping them to get along, love and unity, was helping the master's mission so that they could shine, to be a light to the nations and all the earth. This is what God was doing. This is what Moses was trying to do. And the mission was making progress, but the mission needed to be maintained through additional leadership. This is what we see here. This was Jethro's advice. And by the way, he said there, uh, God will direct you. That's verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all this people will go to their place in peace. The idea there is, don't just listen to me, Moses. Let, let God direct you in this. But I think it's good advice. But as we see, Moses took his advice and, and then Jethro leaves after a time. And so evidently God gave Moses the okay and things were working and, so this is what we see happening. 
this grand mission of God that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth is happening. It's making progress, but it must be maintained for the long haul. It needs to grow. It needs to spread throughout the people. They need to have a witness that makes the world believe. And so they needed more leadership. Now, just as the mission was, was happening in the Old Testament, so too this leadership principle happens in, in our New Testament age as well. God has not only carried, you know, the, the mission of spreading the gospel into the New Testament, he's also carried this leadership principle. Jesus, I've got these up uh, on the screen, Jesus in his time on earth, uh, he was a leader. People called him master and Lord. And we see in Mark three fourteen, and Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they may be with him and he might send them out to preach. Now, I need to give a bit of a caveat. Jesus is God, the Son incarnate, so he did not need human help in the least, but he was setting a perfect example for us of the way it should look. I, I come in as a leader, but I'm not going to try to lead alone. So he appointed the 12. He appoints them to, to an office of, of apostle so that they may, uh, what's it say, so that they may uh, be with him and he could send them out to preach. Later, Paul obeyed this same principle. We see in Acts 14, 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So this is Paul on his missionary journeys. He would go share the gospel, people would believe, and boom, you've got a church there, a, a group of redeemed people. But he didn't just leave them. He would appoint elders, plural elders in every church, it says there. Uh, and then we even see this uh, in the instruction he gave his protégés, Titus and Timothy, as they served churches. Titus 1.5, Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. 2 Timothy 2.2, uh, What you have heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I mean, th this is an incredibly strong New Testament pattern that, that when people come to faith, when you have a group of their redeemed, you, you need someone to lead them and not only someone to lead them, but someones. You need plural elders, leaders, people who are teaching them, guiding them, shepherding them. This is what the Bible teaches. And it, it started teaching this all the way back in Exodus 18, right when the master's mission started making progress. I mean, in the exact same chapter, as, as the nations begin to hear, God sets up more leadership. And so I see that with our church, that if we want to be obedient to God's word, and if we want to maintain the mission and be fruitful in the mission, we must appoint more leaders as God guides us. And that's exactly what we are going to do here today. Pastor Dave and I have spent a considerable amount of time in prayer, in discussion with one another, in reflecting on God's word and the qualifications. And, and these men, Adam and Terry, are the ones that God has laid on our heart. And then we have spent a very long time talking with them. They say, yeah, I want to do this, but I, I don't feel like I can. And so we spent a long time convincing them, God can do this in you and through you. 
And then we spent time training them, saying, these are some of the issues you're going to face. And, and this, this is how God might, might have you handle them. And, you know, we've been going through that with them as well as their, their wives. And, and so we take this very seriously because we take the master's mission very seriously. Um, I, I want to point this out to you. I want to make sure you understand that by ordaining these men today, we are not making them qualified to be elders. We are simply affirming that they already are qualified, that God has already changed them and made them the sort of people that meet the, the, the Titus and Timothy qualifications that we are given here. And additionally, I want to tell you that this is first and foremost a God thing. It's certainly not a me thing. It's not even a church thing or even really an Adam and Terry thing. This is a God thing. God is the one who saved them and broke their chains of sin. God is the one who has been working in their lives to sanctify them, to put off righteous, to put on off sin and put on righteousness. And God is the one who has put in them a love for this church, for this community, and our church reaching this community. God has done those things. All we are doing as a church is acknowledging affirming and empowering what God has already been doing in and through these men. And so I'll go ahead and ask you, Adam and Terry, to come join me up here on stage. First Timothy 3.1 calls the eldership, this office, a noble task. I remember the first time I, I was really studying through that book, I thought, why is it a noble task? And so guys, I wanna tell you, it is a noble task. I have come to find that. It's a noble task because there is a wonderful potential to serve the kingdom of God, to serve his people and to reach the nations really. It is a wonderful task, that's why it's noble, but it's also a noble task because it's difficult. <laughs> and so to desire the office of elder is a noble task because you say, I'm accepting the difficult along with the glorious. There are going to be issues that you face that are gonna draw to your attention in a way like it has never happened before, your own sin, your own weakness and your own human limitations. You will. you will. You will come to the end of yourself over and over again. You will come to find that Satan does not want you to be successful in this task. He, his sights are going to be on you more. And that church is why we need to be praying for them more as they go through this. And you'll find that your family will be under this attack as well. And you'll be shepherding, shepherding them through that as well as shepherding the church. And so... I agree with Paul that the office of elder of overseer is a noble task. It is a glorious opportunity to serve God, his people, and reach the world. But it is a difficult task that will lead you to him over and over again for the strength that you need because you will find that you do not have it in yourself. And so men, knowing the joy and responsibility God has called you to, I want you each to make some commitments here before God and before your congregation. 
I'm going to break these commitments up into three categories of personal, family life, and church life, okay? And so I'm going to say these things. You don't have to repeat after me or anything like that. And so um, I will ask you, then I will individually ask your name, and you can simply say I commit um, at, that, at that point. So here, here are the commitments we are asking you to make. Um, all of these, by the way, have, have Bible passages uh, next to them in my notes. Do you men commit to keep a close watch on your own heart, mind, and life? To be not only hearers or even teachers of God's word, but men who apply God's word in every area of your life. To find your identity, your worth, hope, and supreme satisfaction in Jesus. To continually crucify the flesh, which will keep coming back up, to continually crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, to seek to be filled with the Spirit so that your life bears the fruit of the Spirit, and finally, to live with Jesus as your supreme master and with his glory and the Great Commission at the forefront of your pursuit. If you commit to these personal items, simply say, I commit. Terry? Adam? Now we move on to family items. And again, I just want to repeat to you uh, so that you can be supporting the families. Um, it, it, it will, in some ways, the, the load will, will be on the families as well. And so I, I want these men to commit to shepherding their families well through this. So men, do you commit that you will not let your responsibilities as an elder cause you to ignore the higher responsibility God has given you for your family? That you will treat your wife with continual love, appreciation, honor, and encouragement. That you will raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that you will seek to build up your family in the gospel and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ through your time, attention, love, teaching, and example. That is what you must commit to for your families. And it will not be an easy commitment. If you commit, simply say, I commit. Terry? Amen. Adam? There you go. Now we think about the church, the actual responsibility of, of elders and, and what you need to commit to there. Do you commit that you will hold authority as one who is under the authority of Jesus and his word? To lead without selfishness, greed, partiality, or prejudice. To be more concerned with the reputation of Christ than your own reputation, than that of your family, or even that of this church to love, watch over, and care for the flock of God that has been entrusted to you, praying for them, teaching them, guiding them, and protecting them from those who would uh, draw them away from the truth. And finally, to set an example for this congregation in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. If you commit to these church-related items, simply say, I commit. Terry? Adam? Amen. Now I turn to you, church, because these are men that we have brought before you. We have laid their case out. <laughs> we have showed you the qualifications and compared them with their lives. And, and you, church members, have affirmed this decision. And so I now desire for you to commit to follow through with the affirmation that you have made. And so here is what I hope you will commit to. Do you commit to support these new elders and their families by prayer and intentional encouragement? They will need it. 
to submit to and obey these new elders insofar as their instruction aligns with God's word. To treat them with the level of honor befitting the office God has appointed them to. And finally, to watch their way of life and imitate it as you see their devotion, humility, and zeal for Christ and his mission. Poplar Springs members, if you commit to these things, simply say, I commit. Amen. Well, based on God's word and these commitments, I am now ordaining you, we are now ordaining you, Terry Whitlock, to the office of elder here at Poplar Springs Baptist Church. And again, based on God's word and these commitments you have made, Adam, we are ordaining you to the office of elder here at Poplar Springs Baptist Church. It, it will be no easy task what God has given these men, but God is sufficient where these men are insufficient, where I am insufficient, God is sufficient. And we are now going to spend the rest of this uh, service entrusting God, entrusting them into God's care. Because we, we want God to just pour his power and his blessings and his protection on these men and on their families. So uh, you guys can go ahead and sit um, in your, your chairs on your side and your families can come up and join. And so you go, go ahead there. And so what's going to happen now is uh, first I'm going to pray, but then I want to invite you, anyone who wants to, to come up and, and lay your hands on and pray for these, these men and their families. To, to just go ahead and, and thank God, to, to beg God to be with them, to protect them, and just to celebrate what God has done. And I know uh, that these prayers really will make a difference as God hears them and, and as they hear your prayers. So again, what I'm thinking is, you know, just kind of line up and, and, and wait your turn to pray for these men uh, and, and their families because they're, they're going to need God's grace as we all do. So I'm going to pray, and then you'll have the opportunity to come up and pray for them. Father God, what can we say about such a wondrous blessing? The blessing of salvation, the blessing of, of reaching the nations, God, and the blessing of leadership to help us do this. God, you have been working in these men. You've been working in their families, their entire lives to bring them to this moment to make them the men, the fathers, and the churchmen that you want them to be. And so, God, we rejoice. We, we, we're just, with thanksgiving, we turn to you in praise because you deserve it all for this. But, God, we also ask that you would be with these men and their families, that this uh, office of elder would, would be a joy to them and to their families rather than a, a burden that, that hurts them or tears them apart. God, that you would always protect them with your word and with your spirit. And God, that love and unity and harmony would be their aim as they, they do relationships with one another and, and with the people of our church, God. God, I'm frankly very excited about adding these men to our team of elders. I'm excited about working with them, and I am excited to see the work you do through them in this church and in our community and even across the globe, Lord. And so we entrust them 
and their families to you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. So go ahead and uh, pray for them as, as you feel led. And um, after that dwindles down, we'll uh, close with a song.